Listen and stream the all-new talk radio, Freedom 106.5, for the only talk that matter. Good morning, Trinidad Tobago. This is Freedom 106.5 FM. Speak your mind. Uh, welcome. It's a wonderful Wednesday in Trinidad and Tobago. Got to thank Satish Mahabar for the morning rumble. And my name is Govin here with you until 12 o'clock today. And as always, we've got a very special program every Wednesday right here on Freedom 106.5 at 9 a.m. on The Pulse. And joining us, of course, Rajiv Dipti, third generation business owner and supermarket operator. Of course, the president of the Supermarkets Association of Trinidad and Tobago. Good morning, Rajiv. How are you today? Good morning, Govin, and I'm very happy to be back on The Pulse after we missed this segment last week. I'm looking forward to uh, a very productive show this morning. We have a, quite a lineup as <clears throat> we come into April, we celebrate World Autism Day. And, you know, it's an interesting narrative. In recent years, there's been a lot of progress in increasing awareness and acceptance of autism, not least thanks to the many amazing advocates who work tirelessly to bring the experiences of autistic people into the world. And we have two such persons joining us today. So I look forward to a really uh, informative segment, Govin. Definitely. And um, we welcome them on the program at this point in time. And of course, for our listeners, along the way, you can uh, send us your messages or your questions and so on on WhatsApp 306 1065. Uh, so, Rajiv, I'll, I'll let you introduce our special guest today as we talk about autism awareness today on, on The Pulse. Yeah, so, you know, World Autism Day was celebrated April 2nd, and it gives us an opportunity to really reflect on the uh, contributions these these persons would have made. We have two such persons with us this morning on the air. Uh, the first joining us is Mrs. Susan DeFreitas. She's the principal at Strategic Learning and Special Education Institute. She's the founder uh, of the of the Institute. And since 2005 to present, the school caters for children with developmental challenges, including autism. Welcome to you, Susan. And let me just quickly introduce our second guest, Mrs. Risa Hurdy, who is a DIR advanced floor time therapist, and she practices play therapy to support kids with learning challenges. So uh, allow me, uh, Susan first and then Risa. Good morning. Good morning, Susan. And good morning to you, Risa. Hi, good morning. We're very happy to be here, Rajiv. Thanks for having us today. So let me start with you, Risa. Um, can you give our listeners some background into the autism spectrum? What are some of the challenges? What are some of the the developmental challenges that children experience and why is this so cognizant and, and in need of recognition today? Yeah, so autism or what we um we have a short word for it, we call it ASD. So it can be identified as really a developmental delay in a child's uh where we notice it is in a child's developmental or in the growth pediatric chart. So every time, um, you know, you visit from the birth of a child, you visit a pediatrician, they always put that child on a growth chart, the pediatricians. So that's where now it's very easy to be identified is because at the early stages in a child's development, mm -hmm. the pediatrician is able to um, identify whether there's a delay in a child's development. But basically the most often problems that we pick up on is where a child is having problem in social um, situations, such as making friends and interacting with peers or teachers in school, or even um, where they have certain repetitive behaviors where um, we could see it in sensory. But I would also like to ask Mrs. DeFreitas to um, talk about the sensory issues because she um, she's really very versed in identifying autism in her school. Sure, let's bring Mrs. DeFreitas into the conversation. Morning, Susan, and perhaps I just want to go a little bit further. And can you, you've been an experienced technician in the autism field for a long time. 
since 2005, perhaps prior. Maybe you can let our listeners know. Um, you've certainly experienced some of the social taboos associated with autism, uh, and maybe you can tell us what's what's brought it out um, more, made it more relevant today. All right. Good morning, Rajiv. Um, it's really a pleasure to be here. You know, to share some of my experiences and insights, knowledge of what I know about autism. Now. Um, April is designated World Autism Awareness Month. This entire month is designated to bring more awareness. Now, over the decades, I would say that, uh, you know, uh, tremendous, uh, a lot of our organizations really work tirelessly in bringing this awareness, this um, disorder to the forefront and ways of supporting it. Um, autism is certainly on the rise. 10 years ago, it was uh, one in every 166. Recently, I've been reading, it's like one in every 36 children are being diagnosed with autism. Um, autism is a complex developmental disorder. It involves delay in problems with social interactions, language, and a range of emotional, cognitive, motor, and sensory abilities. The specific behaviors such as bodily spinning, lining of toys, or repeating words without apparent purpose or meaning is often observed, right? And the basic facts about it is disorder, such as the cause and rate of occurrences, are still poorly understood. Right? Some studies estimate the incident to be as high as, you know, as I just said, one in every th 36 children. Right? The, the cause of the increase is generally unknown, and a great deal of uh, research supports genetic factors. So, Susan, um, I appreciate that you sharing this with our audience this morning. Um, so from, from what you're explaining to us, this is not a new phenomenon. This is something that's been taking place over time, has received um, highlights over a period, is still poorly understood, and we're still developing techniques that can help children develop social skills. Yes. Um, so individuals with autism or children with autism uh, will... Uh, exhibit difficulties in relating, forming relationship, communicating, whether it was gestures, words, and symbols. And as Risa was saying, you know, the, the pediatricians will have their developmental growth chart for typically developing child. Um, children who are on the spectrum, you would see challenges in these specific areas of development. So that's how it's basically um, diagnosed or uh, brought to the attention of the caregivers. Now, one of the things I found over the years, my experience of working with children with autism and with the autism community is that we are getting children diagnosed as early as uh, 18 months, which is fantastic. You know, the pediatricians are picking up on the delays, seeing um, some of the core deficits, you know, the problem that characterize autism um, at a very, very early age. Therefore, the child will be um, uh, they would, you know, the child would, they would begin to recommend certain therapies, certain intervention, diagnosis for the testing. So parents could get, um, you know, some understanding of how they can support their child and make this uh, journey uh, uh, a good one. So Susan, you're the principal at the Strategic uh, Learning and Special Needs Institute. How, do, how does a school like yours cater to the needs of these um, individuals? Right. So uh, st uh, strategic learning was established in 2005. Initially, we started with an early intervention program. Uh, so there we were taking uh, children at a very young age, two, two and a half, and we will actually work with the families. So the DR model, um, I have also been through some of the training with them. And um, this model addresses the core deficit of autism. So. Uh, when a child is having trouble with establishing intimacy and warmth, the child is not communicating with gestures, the child is not beginning to use words, these students will be um, referred to our organization. And there we would sit with the parents and we would look at a typically developing, um, the typically developmental milestone of our typically developing child versus the milestones of our students. So our students will be our infants will be will be having problems with relationships, saying words. Uh, they may be uh, 
behaving differently, processing the environment uh, differently, covering the airs, working on the tools. So the program is designed in the physical structure of the, the classroom or the room, the therapy room that we use. So it's littered with toys, ball pits, sensory, uh, trampoline, anything. So the child will be allowed to move and play and have interest and the caregiver will make themselves available for that interaction. So what we're looking for there is the child's ability to self-regulate, regulation. We also work with the family, so they would be able to accommodate the child at home. A lot of times, uh, an uh, autistic infant will not come into that uh, world of shared attention, engagement, and reciprocity with the mom or the caregiver or grandma or anybody. So we encourage parents to do that at home. Sit on the floor for 20 minutes, make uh, the child's favorite toys available to him, and come into that world of shared attention, engagement, and reciprocity. There we would see that relationship forming. Child has the attunement uh, to the caregiver. The child will begin to say words. The child will begin to put meaning to those words. So it is really a good model that really addresses the DR four-time model, really addresses the core deficit of autism. Um, it gives the parents an opportunity to meet the needs of their infant, um, those milestones that those developmental milestones that they're not seeing, it only helps to solidify them and give the child a better opportunity to uh, regulate into society, regulate into schools, and, you know, develop from there. I imagine that this places quite a lot of additional pressures, perhaps on the caregivers, the parents. Is that something that you also have to deal with in the course of your practice? Of course, it's typical for parents, most of all, because, uh, you know, a parent, they're not educated about a child with challenges, you know. Parents, when you have a baby, you expect that, you know, your child will develop all these milestones. And when you see these challenges, you know, it could be pretty, pretty parents are very devastated because this is their child, you know, you don't know what your future is going to be like. Uh, you know, in Trinidad, we don't have many programs. That's why, you know, people like Risa doing uh, floor time, you know, that will actually help, you know, to, to solidify some of these milestones and change the whole trajectory of the development is, is so necessary. You know, we need more of that in Trinidad. But, um, you know, for parents, it is pretty devastating. And, um, you know, sometimes it's hard for them to find schools. It's hard for difficult for them to afford the programs because everything is expensive. Um, you know, the pediatrician or the doctor may recommend OT and occupational therapy, speech therapy, behavioral therapy, play therapy, it all adds up. And, um, you know, their journey is, is very, very difficult. So in our program and, you know, what RISA does, the first thing we do, we work with the families, you know, and help them to, you know, become more aware, more comfortable in how they can support their child and change this, this whole pessimistic view into something more positive. So we head on over to our first break. When we come back, we're on the pulse with Sus Mrs. Susan DeFreitas and Ms. Risa Hurdy. When we come back, we're going to hear from Risa on her first-hand experience as a floor-time therapist. Talk, Talk is streaming at freedom106.5.com. Welcome back to On The Pulse, right here on Freedom 106.5 FM with Rajiv Dipti and a special guest today, Ms. Susan DeFreitas and Risa Hurdy. Yes, good morning again to all our listeners. Uh, we're exploring World Autism Month with our specially invited guests. Uh, we go over now to Mrs. Risa Hurdy, who is a floor time therapist. Risa, Susan spoke to us about the DIR model, and um, can, you, can you give our listeners some insight into what it is, your experience as a therapist, how it is? Yes, so... Um... Richie, first of all, let me say, um, as a therapist working in this field, it's very important that this type of work, you need a lot of collaboration. And um, I'm very fortunate that um, to be also be working in a school environment such as strategic is because um, the first thing that, and the most important thing for a therapist is to get a lot of background information about this child before we develop a therapeutic plan to start working with children because um, 
you know, autism is something, it's not a, um, a one bracket thing because every child that we work with, they have um, a lot of different um, symptoms, a lot different challenges. So for instance, one child may not be able to communicate and we also have children that we define them as picky eaters. And as Ms. DeFreitas was saying, some of them, um, they tiptoe instead of walking properly. So when you look at autism, you have to look at it in a way like um, you would look at, um, it's not the same, but we look at it like how you would look at cancer. We have different types of cancer and the same way we have different types of autism. So to help um, work with a child, we need to really look at what are the challenges that this child have. So we place that child in a, um, how we say, uh, individual differences where we just point out the challenges of this individual child and able to, which enables us to have a, a treatment plan for the child. And also, um, you know, working in, in mental health, it's very challenging. It's because we also now in Trinidad, we are not, um, we don't have a lot of mental health practitioners in Trinidad and, and that's a bit of a challenge. And for us, for this work to be successful, we have to reach out to a lot of the professionals in the US and Canada to assist us in um, having a treatment plan because um, unfortunately, um, this type of work, you need to, to be able to collaborate, not just with the medical doctors, pediatricians, but we need to reach out to neurologists, speech and language pathologists, OTs, and in Trinidad, we, we have a few, but when parents go to them, they have to be on a waiting list, and sometimes that waiting list could be up to a year. And that's a downfall because when you have a two-year-old that's diagnosed and they have to wait until they turn three to get the mental health professional, then, um, you know, you have a lot of wasted time. So, um, you know, this is why we now reach out to the professionals abroad to, to help us collaborate. And so it's a lot of a teamwork that we need to put in. And I'm very fortunate to have a mentor as Misty Freitas on board because she has over 30 years experience with children and um, especially for the parents, you know, when they have this diagnosis and, and you you have to, um, to meet a family, they are very stressed because I think it's a, it's a very, um, it's a very frightful experience when your child gets a diagnosis as autism, um, especially the fact where the professionals are hard to, to find. So, Risa, and I mean, you've you've described a broad field spectrum of challenges that relates to autism, the trauma that it'll bring to families, including the children that experience them. So, you have to deal with the fact that these parents come to you, and that each one of these individuals need to be accepted, empowered, and heard. How do you deal with these setbacks when you do run into them? Yes. Well, first of all, you have to love working with children <laughs> and you need to have a lot of patience because I don't think that this is a career that it's very easy to get into. You have to manage your own um, mental health and you have to also have a boundary as a professional where I would be able to say, okay, so in terms of getting support for parents, I won't get into that because I'm not a counselor. My um, job really is to help the child, support the child, and um, you know, and then we would have to, you know, direct the parents to get their support. So, you know, um, me being a parent myself, and you know, we just came out of a pandemic. I feel that a lot of children now are faced with learning challenges 
because of this isolation that we had during the lockdown with COVID. And, um, you know, um, for parents, you know, you want your child to get back um, interacting. You want them to, to be um, more social and you want them to get over these things very quickly. And, and one of the things that we have to remind parents is that, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. And when you are starting therapy, we have to be mindful that we have to go at the, um, the child's pace. We have to pace that child so we can't overwhelm children when working with them. It takes time and it takes a lot of patience. I'd like to bring Susan into the conversation now. I mean, we're discussing overcoming barriers, um, taboos, improving lives of these children and their caregivers. Susan, how do you deal with these setbacks when you do inevitably run into them? Well, we try to give support. So when a client comes to us, we work with the families also. So it's very important, you know, to sit with parent one-on-one -on -one and explain you know what is up you know what what this disorder entails uh, how much intervention could change a lot of things because what parent really parents really want they want a child who's communicating relating thinking a child who could uh, a child a student who would develop independent skills most of all you know and have a basic understanding of the world now i must say Rajiv, it's been that is autism awareness month i mean kudos to these parents i mean the families that we work with I must say, these parents give their everything to these children. They are so devoted. I mean, they sacrifice. I mean, it's, it, you know, these are not, uh, they, these children, you, you just don't take them to school and that's it. When they come home, they need full-time um, uh, supervision, support. Some of them have trouble uh, sleeping at nights and all that, you know, but parents, the, the majority of parents that we work with, all of the families that we work with, they really are very committed you know, to their child's development. So when we overcome, uh, when we encounter challenges uh, such as these, we try to support parents. Um, there are a number of support system, you know, that they could uh, rely on. There's the Autism Society, Trinidad and Tobago. Um, some of our hospitals, Moto, Arima Hospital, some of these hospitals do have um, some therapies available, occupational therapy, speech therapy. There is student support services, um, that's the Ministry of Education, so parents could go there and access some help, uh, direction, funding, schools, whatever. So we try to, you know, refer them to the various entities on our fund organization and support system that we have in Trinidad. Um, unfortunately, in Trinidad, we, there is a need for more programs, more schools, and more affordable programs at every level, from infancy to um teenagers, even to adults, more programs designed where uh, children with special needs can go in and, you know, learn something and grow and develop respectfully. And then, of course, we have the challenge of how do we integrate them uh, respectfully into societies where they can become contributors. So, Susan, for, for our listeners here this morning that, you know, may have concerns about developmental challenges with their own children, they're not sure if they're autistic, what are some of the first steps that they can take to, you know, really find more out about any underlying conditions? And, you know, once they do that, what options are available for them, perhaps via the Strategic Learning and Special Needs Institute? Okay. So, I would... Uh, but parents, I always advise parents to stay in your clinic. If you are in Mount Hope or whatever pediatric clinic, please stay in the clinic because the clinic do have um, criteria of diagnosing and looking at developmental delays. And they're doing a very, very good job of it, Rajiv, because for the first time we are seeing children being diagnosed very, very early, even the pediatricians, you know. So once parents keep up with those, um, you know, uh, visits, those uh, pediatric visits, they um, they will be advised, uh, well, you know, I think this is not happening and this is not happening. And these clinics will begin to make recommendations. So I know they have been recommended um, certain OTs and speech therapy, behavioral therapy, um, and then eventually, you know, we'll go to student support services, Ministry of Education, and uh, then they will start 
um, referring to schools. So let me talk, talk a little bit about special needs school. Strategic learning is not the only special needs school in Trinidad. We have 14 private special schools operating in Trinidad and Tobago. And these schools are registered with the Ministry of Education and also is, the programs are also funded by the Ministry of Education. Partial, partial fund, right? So students do get a grant to make it more affordable. So in terms of the system, you know, and I must say this, it is full. The schools are full. We don't have enough. It's not enough, but at least, you know, there is something that parents can, you know, come in. When they come into our program, and I will speak on behalf of the other schools, um, we would introduce our program, what we're offering at strategic. We use the DR for our time, model of intervention. So we would uh, tell parents, the D and the I and the R stands for, you know, the D is for the developmental, understanding where your child is and his emotional development. And that is critical to planning a treatment program. Right, and there are six developmental milestones uh, when we're looking at the D, okay? That every child must master as a foundation for healthy emotional and intellectual growth. So, you know, we give these parents, we actually give them a growth chart, what we're looking at. I is for the individual difference, because each child has a unique way of thinking in the world, sight, sounds, touch, and responding to it, right? These children may have difficulty in processing and responding to sensory information. Right, such as you know, light or noise, or you know, you'd see them covering their ears and all that. And these things can interfere with the child's ability to relate, communicate, and think. And the R in this model is for the is the relationship, building relationship with primary caregivers is a critical is a critical element in helping a child return to a healthy development path. So you find that you know the child is in his own world. You know, he doesn't really he plays in isolation. So it's important that uh, that relationship be established. But um, so, you know, we educate parents of what the model is all about, what we're going to do, how we, the approach are we going to take to gain mastery of these developmental milestones. Parents do their part, we do our part, we collaborate together, and then, you know, we help these uh, infants, individuals, achieve these milestones. And if they are achieved, Reggie, these children can go through an educational uh, program, uh, uh, elementary program. Uh, some of our students do SEA, or they do school living, or they even, uh, for children with a lot of sensory, you know, who we would categorize as uh, low function in autism. I don't like to use that word, but, you know, um, they develop life skills where they can be independent in the home, you know, or take care of themselves, uh, assist and even do uh, simple tasks, you know, have their own, grow their little garden, you know, uh, your own vegetables and things like that. So, you know, the program is designed to actually uh, cater and help this child develop his milestones and go into adulthood and even contribute to society in a meaningful way. As we listen to the humble and tireless work performed by Mrs. Susan DeFreitas and Mrs. Risa Hurdy with respect to autistic children, we head now to the break. When we come back, we'll open up the phone lines. Talk, Talk is streaming at freedom106.5.com. And we're back at Freedom 106.5 FM on The Pulse with Rajiv Dipti, and we are talking about autism awareness. And uh, at this point, we could take a couple of calls for those listening to us. You can uh, join in on the conversation 627-3223-625-2257. And of course, uh, your messages as well on WhatsApp 306-1065. If you've got any questions about autism or the topics that we've discussed today in terms of treatment and so on, uh, we welcome your phone calls. Of course, joining us, Rajiv, we have uh, Suzanne DeFreitas and Risa Hudi this morning. Rajiv? Yes, uh, I, I, we've we've dived deep into autism awareness, COVID. I'm not sure how much you would have been aware of how the phenomenon is, but I, I think it's very important as we um, make significant strides to really highlight what's going on here uh, right now. Yeah, because as 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 the discussion was continuing, I just thought about the the high stressed nature of it all. Uh, for especially young parents that may not be very versed or experienced with, you know, child um, raising a child and so on, dealing with uh, a child that is diagnosed with autism, it can be quite stressful. It's nice to know that uh, there are a number of institutions or schools that are 
available. But I, I believe as uh, one of our guests this morning indicated that even though we have, I, I think, 14 schools, it's still not enough um, to deal with um, the amount of, of cases that we may have. Um, if there was a suggestion in terms of further institutional support, uh, what level of institutionalism could we see to really deal with autism uh, properly in the country? I, I don't know if, if Ms. Suzanne or Risa may be able to, to join in there. Okay, so I would like to answer that. Um, now, and that, that is a very good question. I think, uh, so if you have a child who, an infant who was placed on the spec, uh, on autism spectrum or any kind of development or challenge, um, it, a lot of, in, in most cases, these children will go to a regular preschool. So, and the preschool will not deny them, you know, they would hope that with that level of integration, you know, the child will model that behavior and everything will settle in. But um, in a preschool, the emphasis will more be on, you know, uh, edu uh, mastering educational skills of matching shapes or colors or reciting the alphabet. Whereas children on the spectrum, they will have trouble communicating, relating and thinking, you know, how they play. So a lot of times these children will be kept in that school for like two years and then they, we won't even hear about them until they're five or six, you know, whereas they, and in that case, they already uh, missed some crucial years where there should have been some kind of intervention to meet their developmental challenges. So therefore there is a need for these, these types of institutions, early intervention programs, like, you know, we call them. So where infants at the age of two and a half, three, four, five with special needs can come into these programs that are specially de designed to meet their needs, you know, uh, with, um, with the various therapies involved, DIR floor time, therapists like research, occupational therapy, speech therapy, uh, more play therapy, music therapy, where all these art therapy, where all these therapies can be involved in these programs. And that is what parents need to advocate for. That is what we need to, to really have more of in Trinidad because right now they go to the preschools and when they graduate, they will not be able to join the elementary school. So they will, then they will join a special needs program. And we certainly would have missed two very uh, crucial years in their development. You know, Susan, I, I, I can appreciate that your experience as uh, somebody who's nearly had more than two decades worth of experience working with young autistic individuals experiencing the challenges, overcoming those challenges. Have you seen some of these, your former pupils, go on to make a contribution to society and indeed um, embrace a fully functional lifestyle? Certainly, you know, Rajiv, our students, we have students in high school, we have students in the job place, uh, and I'm speaking for all the, the special schools. I mean, our school is one, just one school, but, you know, these children graduate with skills, uh, you know, they draw, they can uh, they read, they can do science and math, and, you know, they have a very unique mind. You know, some of them go on to, you know, just being independent at home. You know, when I see our students out there, I mean, as you said, I have, I have had over 20 years experience in working in this field. They are outstanding, outstanding, you know. Um, so, you know, the progress is accomplished. These children do progress. But the deficit is when we don't meet their needs. If you don't have educational programs and schools and tailored to, to help them overcome the challenges, then they will not progress. But if you have programs, educational programs as designed, they will progress in those countries like United States and those possible countries, they're all over in the workplace. You know, they, they work at, as cashiers, they work at offices, they, you know, they're all over, you know, because they do have strengths. So, you know, the, the, the deficit is in us as a society, as a country, not being able to provide for them. So would you say that the crucial, so that it's absolutely crucial that early intervention is identified, um, and, and you know, for for people that you intervene in later, is it that it's more difficult for those persons to really uh, overcome, to rehabilitate them, so to speak? Um, you know, give us your experience. Right. So you know, I I don't want to to be pessimistic about it, but um, you know, there's always hope. You know, the brain this is a, a, a disorder that affects 
the brain, but the brain grows and changes throughout life. There's no limit that you could say, okay, at the age of six or seven or even 20 or 40, an individual cannot learn something. But how the brain's, brain changes is through experiences. So uh, early intervention certainly, you know, would, would be an advantage because brain development takes place rapidly at that point. And if we can uh, intervene early, then we would prevent things from cementing. Now, when you get a child who is older, like seven or eight, this child would have been in an environment where, um, let's say he was in a, uh, a typical school, an environment where he was basically excluded because he couldn't join in to anything. So a child like that coming to our program, he would be, it would be hard to get him, or maybe he might, might have had a bad experience in joining in. A teacher may try to force him to get to do things, so he doesn't want to do that, you know. So, do, you know, it might be a little more challenging um, in order cases, you know, parents don't understand the power of play. Um, so the students are given iPad and phone and, you know, so they rely on these things. They, you know, they use words, but in a repetitive way, they don't have a full meaning and understanding of the world and the environment and, you know, and, and what things mean. And so it, it is always harder. So, you know, for this Autism Awareness Month, you know, one thing I would like to highlight is that you know, parents be aware. If your child is showing signs, you know, uh, I know many parents want to wait and see if things want to get better. But if you intervene at that point, um, things will drastically change. You know, there will be a better prognosis rather than waiting two or three or four years and then trying to get, uh, you know, some kind of intervention. And, um, you know, uh, Risa, that uh, being a DIR floor time therapist, you know, therapists like her address those deficits and help children gain mastery of those milestones where they can actually be more prepared and regulated and ready for uh, school and educational programs. Suzanne, thank you very much. I, I just want to ask, and this is more of a curiosity for our listeners here this morning, uh, some of the therapies we've been discussing and describing are um, behavioral based, working very closely with the children to achieve the desired outcomes. Some people are asking, what about medication therapies? Is that something that is considered? Um, and when is that considered? Uh, now, you know, okay, so let's talk about medication. Um, you know, if we, uh, if a child has a diagnosis or has been placed on the, spe on the autism spectrum, um, the first thing you're going to look at is where the child is at. You know, you will have to ask yourself these questions. Is the child having trouble with establishing intimacy and what? Does, um, does the child communicate with gestures or words, right? When the child begins to use words, does he use them meaningfully? Now, I can't see medication being a, a plan for that, you know. And when we look at where this, where this, if the child is, let's say, three years old, if the child is function, functioning uh, based on the assessment as a three-month level, you know, medication should not be considered. When we look at the behavior, right, the individual difference, that's what in the model we call that the individual difference. That means that the child has a new, uh, unique way of taking in the world, you know, sights and sounds and taste and all these things might be very difficult for him. You know, children may not be able to tolerate certain textures, type of food, you know, the noise out there, the, um, you know, even the sights, you know, some children just, just can't handle all of that. So. Medication is not really an option for an infant. Um, uh, what uh, is an option is therapies like DIR floor time or occupational therapy uh, or speech therapy or, and play therapy. And, um, and, you know, and even, you know, Risa mentioned mental health. Even if an individual, not an autistic individual, but even if an individual has a mental health issue, um, the option for that person, the treatment will be counseling and, and maybe medication alone, you know, so there has to be, the, it has to be intervention. And of course, if you have to consider, uh, you know, using medication, but from my experience, very few, uh, people medicate at the, in the early stage, maybe, um, as the child begin, uh, gets older in the teenage years, puberty kicks in. Uh, we might see some heightened dysregulation, behavioral problems. It might be a little hard to manage. So, you know, maybe then a very trained uh, psychiatrist will prescribe uh, medication 
Um, I just want to bring Risa in very quickly here. Um, Risa, as a as a floor time therapist, would you stand by the tangible benefits of working very closely with the children to achieving the outcomes as opposed to other therapies discussed? Okay, so um, I would just, before answering this, I would just like to add on to um, the topic about medication. Oh. I think that a lot of... Um, First of all, you have to look at, you know, the instances where a child will need medication. Um, so typically what we see is children with um, has a lot of anxiety. And we have seen a spike in anxiety since COVID. And anxiety is something where a child just cannot regulate. Anxiousness is really where they would have like a breakdown, um, um, a meltdown when entering into a new environment and this new environment coming out of COVID with schools. And um, when we look at the school system in Trinidad, it's very crowded and very loud. So we had these um, three-year-olds to five-year-olds having a lot of problems going back into schools. And the first thing that parents would ask the pediatricians is, well, can we medicate this child? And um, the pediatrician will always look at medication as the last option. The reason being is because medications could actually do more damage to a child's internal organs than um, helping this child progress. So this is why um, the therapies is actually more important to start than to starting a child with medication because I had a lot of clients that with um, anxiety or with um, being very hyper, um, you know, and they would say, well, my child is just zoned out and I'm afraid after administering medication the first week is because they kind of go into like a trance mode. And that's something that is very scareful and frightening for a parent to see a child kind of zoning out, you know, and being um, dizzy and, and tired. So... You know, for parents out there that's listening today, I want to um, tell you that the best thing is getting a diagnosis and then it's getting the treatment and, and the right school, proper schooling environment for this child. And, um, you know, your second question, Rajiv, um, you asked, could, could you repeat that question for me? Certainly, Risa. Uh, but let's first head to the break, and then when we come back, we'll take back up the conversation. Talk, talk is streaming at freedom106.5.com. And we're back on The Pulse, right here on Freedom 106.5 FM with uh, Rajib Dipti and our special guest today, Risa, Herdi, and Suzanne DeFreitas. We're talking about autism awareness. And uh, we got a question in terms of contact um, for persons that may want to uh, conduct an assessment or diagnosis or so, or if they have kids that have autism and would like to get some further details and so on. Uh, any contact avenues that we could get at this time? Uh, Risa or Susan? Yes, so um, for my contact, my um, cell is 486-1689 and for Suzanne, could you share your information? Okay, so for Suzanne, um, we have a Facebook page, which is Strategic Learning and Special Education Institute. So you could get information there, and her um, contact is 749-3938. So definitely reach out to them. Mm -hmm. uh, via mobile or Facebook, yeah. they are on social media. And uh, I, I think that it's something that a lot of parents would have questions about. Suzanne, I see you're back. Yeah. Well, speaking about questions, Rajiv, we also got a, a call on the line. Let's take this before we continue along. Hello, good morning. Hi, good morning. I would like to find out what schools are there available for a child who has just been diagnosed and they're about four years old. Are there any schools that I can um, register my son into? Susan? Okay. Yeah, are you hearing me? Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so I would advise you to go to Student Support Services. They have a list of all the schools that you uh, that are available with specialist programs to um, register your child. So based on the area that you're from, they would refer you to a school. Our school is located in Trinity, so you know we would have the population coming from there. But there are schools in Port of Spain, there are schools in San Fernando, um, Arima, Rio Claro. Okay, so Student Support Services, Ministry of Education. Have we got any more questions or callers coming out of school then? Uh, yeah, that that's it for now. Uh, we could continue along with the previous question I think you had posed uh, before the commercial yeah. break. Yeah. Yeah, so we've been having a vibrant discussion for all our listeners here this morning. It's Autism Awareness Month. We have two two specialists very passionate about their work uh, relaying to us the humble, tireless work that goes into the um, very patient rearing of these individuals. Um, Arisa, we were chatting a little bit about uh, the therapies, the success rates and definitely you know one of the things i guess i want to ask you is we're going to the last six to eight minutes of the show this morning what would you like to see from society it is autism awareness month what is it that you feel we could be doing more as a society to contribute towards um, the best outcomes for these children okay so for me i think that there's a stigma that we have in society when um, we see uh, a person that um, doesn't follow the norm, you know? And, um, you know, growing up, I, I think that we, we have overcome a lot of these challenges, but there's, there's a need like when um, we would take out the kids to a field trip or um, to a shopping mall, we would see a lot of people looking at a child and staring and pointing. And I think that I would like to to tell um, my fellow um, citizens in Trinidad and Tobago to please, you know, show some compassion to these families because, you know, it's very hard for a family to accept a diagnosis. Um, it's very hard for parents to you know, um, accept that, okay, my child, they have a, a mental health disorder. But, you know, um, I want to tell parents out there that there, there is no normal. We all have mental health challenges. And I think I am a parent myself. And, um, you know, you want the best for your children as a parent. You want to see that your child is able to thrive and to be happy. And that's the important thing. And, um, you know, um, when you take your children out and, you know, someone stares or points or make a comment, if your child, let's say they um, having a tantrum on the floor in a grocery store and people will stop and say, oh, that child is spoiled. That's the first thing we get from society, that your child is spoiled. Um, and, you know, we have to be more compassionate. You know, if you see a child that is having a hard time, you know, lend a helping hand to that parent instead of seeing a disrespectful remark and making a parent feel like you're a bad mom, you're a bad dad. You know, let's try to be more understanding and um, compassionate and supportive. I couldn't agree more with that outlook, Risa. Do you think that we need to have more programs, more workshops perhaps in place to highlight these um, these these mental health disorders as as we as we've discussed them this morning? Yes, of course. I think that um, mental health awareness is something that we are constantly um, face with and I think that society re we really need a lot of support um, a lot of um, workshops will help and also um, you know I, I think that when when you look now at we have a lot more access to information because of our resources we have online but also there are also a lot of workshops abroad that um, parents could attend and um, you know a lot of um, one of these seminars that, that um, me and Susan attended 
we are both members of the ICDL, and that's a group that's based in Washington, D.C. And every September, we attend a workshop in Washington, D.C. So, you know, I want to, to tell families out there that you don't only have to be restricted to the resources in Trinidad. There are a lot of resources. You could even attend these seminars online. You don't have to physically attend it. Um, so, um, Suzanne, would you be able to, to um, add on to this as well? Because I think this is a, a wonderful... Um, yeah, I'd like to bring Suzanne in because we're about to round off the hour. And I'd like to get her closing comments. We've had a wonderful hour on autism awareness. And I would like to thank these two ladies, Mrs. Suzanne DeFreitas and Mrs. Risa Hurdy, for giving us their time this morning. Suzanne, the floor is yours as we close off the hour. Okay, so just to add to what Risa is saying, you know, um, you know, society needs to be a little more accepting. Um, I must say, Rajiv, and I would even speak for Risa and I, you know, and even the parents, we certainly do not advocate enough. You know, sometimes you get comfortable with what we're doing, but there's a wider population that needs support and, and advocating. And one thing I would like to advocate for and, you know, emphasize um, these individuals, you know, we want to create more inclusive uh, programs for them. Mm -hmm. We want them to feel more included, even if an autistic child is in a, a high school or secondary school. You know, sometimes they, they're not really fully included. They feel excluded. And, you know, parents really feel the brunt of it after they have invested so much in their child to put him out there in society and then have society shun them in some way, you know, can be very, very, uh, you know, frustrating. Um, so, you know, as a society, we need to be more inclusive. We need to be more mindful of these families and more supportive of them. And, uh, you know, we need to really uh, provide more workshops, training workshops, uh, advocating more. Uh, communities need to come together. You know, if you live in a community and you know that there is an autistic child or family, you know, maybe you could speak to that family and find out ways that you could be supported. But certainly, you know, one in 36 is very alarming. Uh, autistic individuals are part of our society, uh, rightly so. And, you know, this Autism Awareness Month, we highlight their needs, but more so, we want to highlight who they are. They are wonderful, amazing, cherished individuals. We love them and we accept them. A very heartfelt, deep approach to autism awareness. We thank these two lovely women for their time this morning. Uh, Govin, I think it's been a great hour and I pass it over to you. Thank you so much, Rajiv. And yeah, definitely indeed. And uh, Autism Awareness Month, April 2023. We'll continue with uh, more programs just like these right here on Freedom 106.5. And do join us next week right by for another exciting edition of on the pulse of course with rajiv dipti and our various guests so thank you all so much again for joining us today on the program you could join us next week wednesday at 9 a.m for another edition and once again we got to thank of course risa hudi uh, floor time therapist and Susan DeFreitas, principal at Strategic Learning and Special Education Institute, joining us today speaking about autism right here on Freedom 106.5. Talk is streaming at freedom106.5.com.